Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now this morning, we are going to be talking about the blessings of God. Anybody want some? Okay, I got a few people that say, yeah, I'd like, like me some of that. Um, we, uh, we're going to talk about it today and, uh, and think deeply uh, about it. Uh, one of the blessings, uh, something else I didn't tell the first service. I, I, you guys just, you get all the good stuff. You know, you, you do, you get all the good stuff. Um, one of the blessings uh, of, that God has given to River Bluff Church is uh, out on Folly Beach, a young lady who started visiting us a few weeks ago uh, prayed to receive Christ uh, last night. Um, at the re- yeah, praise God for that. Um, and we know that God's doing other things in the lives of students, but uh, uh, Pastor Terry texted me last night to tell me about her because we'd been praying for her specifically. And, uh, and she's, she has trusted Jesus with her life now. Really cool stuff happening. Uh, and, and so we want to pray about that. Uh, another really incredible blessing of the Lord for River Bluff Church is going to show up on the screen behind me. Take a look. Hey, this is Philip Pinkney, lead pastor of Radiant Church. We are celebrating two years as a gathered family here in North Charleston. And so as we celebrate two years as a church, I just want to take a moment to thank you. You have been praying for us. You have been supporting us. You have been co-laboring along with us. And so we would not be where we are as a church, nor would we be who we are as a church without your prayers and support. So thank you for walking alongside of us. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for your prayers. Um, Thank you for helping us to be who God wants us to be here in the city of North Charleston. As we celebrate two years as Radiant Church, we know that it's two years as brothers and sisters and partners and co-laborers with you in this city for the glory of God. So thank you. Amen. Yeah. Praise God for that. Um, for those of you that are visiting with us, may not know, uh, that is a, a church that got planted two years ago um, at our other campus uh, over on Middle and Park Road, and God is doing great things there, and we get to be the recipients of some of that blessing. It's just, it's really, really good stuff. I love that man. Um, pray about this. Uh, don't, don't have specifics to give you, but God is kind of working right now, I think, uh, for River Bluff and Radiant to maybe work together to plant even a new work in Charleston, um, which would be really cool for us to do that together. So just pray that God's will and something like that uh, would, 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 would come. Okay? Uh, so anyway, those are blessings that God has given to River Bluff Church. And I want us to think about this uh, today, this idea of blessing. And for me, the book that we're studying, the book of Ephesians, is a great blessing. We talked about uh, that last week some, how uh, it's just an incredible letter from Paul. It's probably the most uh, comprehensive letter about the church. What a biblically functioning church community should look like. Now, I'm, I told you last week I'm grateful that this isn't the only letter of Paul's that we have access to about the church. But um, if I could only have two, I'd want Romans would be my first choice and the second one would be Ephesians. Uh, because it does such an incredible job of, of, of telling us that the church has got to be built on Jesus. And understanding who we are in him, our identity in him. Because if the church gets built on anything else, if the church gets built on personalities or performance or you know past glory, any our personal preference, any of those things, church will fail. It, it, it'll fall. 
It can only be built on, on, on Jesus. And so having our identity as a church, as his people, individually and collectively rooted in Jesus and in his gospel as recorded in the Bible is the foundation, the only foundation that a church can be built on because that church, that local church that is the hope for the world through Christ, the only thing that can support a new humanity, a new community in Christ is the foundation of Jesus himself. You know, I told you last week that the longest sentence in the Bible is uh, what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. In the original language, it's the longest sentence in the Bible. And we're going to go back and read a part of that today. This morning I'm reading out of New American Standard Version. So it's going to come up that way on the screen if you're reading out of one of our house Bibles, uh, ESV. Um, I'm, I chose a different one today because of the way some of the language is, is placed. Uh, you know, I've told you this before. My, my study version of choice is New American Standard. I believe it's closest to the original language. It's Joe's opinion. Um, uh, ESV is my second closest choice to word-for-word -word translation. ESV is a little easier to read in my opinion. And, uh, but anyway, so I want to read this uh, from New American Standard today. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what I want to really focus on from this passage today is one verse. The first verse we read, verse 3. And I want you to go back and look at that with me. It says, blessed is be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ who has. What tense is that? past tense. Who has blessed us with how many blessings? Every. He has, that's absolute language there. That's what that means. He has in the, already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now for, for that that really to sink in, you and I need to understand the New Testament meaning of the word bless or, or blessing. You gotta, you gotta be gripped by that. Because in our culture, the word bless it really doesn't have the same meaning as it does here in what Paul's writing. You know, if somebody sneezes, we'll say what? Bless you, you know? And what we're really saying is don't get in my face, baby. You know, that's what we really mean, you know? How, how many of you did not grow up in the South? Okay, okay, some of you. Um, if you're new to the South, you need to know something about how Southerners use this word bless. Because you may think we're loving on you, we may be slapping you in the face and you don't know it. Um, watch what I'm talking about. Bless his heart. Once we get married, he won't be watching as much football. Bless her heart. 
Oh, oh, hey, hey, guys. Hey, yo. Next one. Next time. Next time. Bless his heart. Bless her heart. So, that is not what Paul means in what we just read. That's not it, okay? This was, this was not southern gospel for Paul. This was, this was something bigger and better than that. Now, what we're told here in verse 3 is that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Already. Every blessing. How many of you, when you drove on the campus today, drove on thinking, I don't need God, I don't need no blessing. I got all the blessing. I'm going to go bless some people with my blessing. <clears throat> See, most of us didn't drive on campus that way. Most of us came looking for a blessing. And, and Paul's telling us something about the blessing of God. That you already have every spiritual blessing. It's already available to you. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to unpack that today because most of us are saying, uh, I'm missing some of mine, baby. You know, I need, to, I need to find mine. So what I want us to do, I want us to dive into this. And what I want us to do is I want us to bombard verse 3 with some questions this morning. Okay, I just want us to throw some questions at, at verse 3. We're, there are going to be four of them. Okay, four of them. I'm not going to tell all four of them to you this right now, but uh, we're going to start with this very first one. Here's the first question. How do we get every spiritual blessing? H how is that even possible? How, how can we access that? And the answer to that is found in a series of phrases that you read a moment ago if you were reading along. Look at it. In verse 3 it says, In Christ. In verse 4, it says, in him. Verse 6 says, in the beloved or in the one he loves. Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption. See, you notice something going on here? Every spiritual blessing that you have already access to is in Jesus. See, when the Bible talks about you becoming a Christian, yes, you get God as your Lord and King to obey. Yes, you get, you know, you get God, Jesus as an example to follow. The, it's not only that. And yes, you get a Savior to whom you should be grateful and thankful. But it, it's not only that. Because when you become a Christian, when you believe, when you believe in such a way that you receive him into yourself, where you trust in him, then what happens, the Bible says, is you are put in Jesus. Put in Jesus. Now, I'm a visual guy. I don't know how many of you are visual learners, but I'm visual. And so what the Bible says is this. Me, you can put you, me in there too, gets put in Jesus. I, I get placed in Jesus. I'm in Him. And so what that means is, is everything that Jesus has, I now have access to because I'm in Him. I, I, every, everything Jesus has and is, I have, I have access to. Because I, I have been put in Jesus. Everything he has is mine. What does that mean? What, what does that look like? 
Well, Ephesians 2.6, we'll get to Ephesians 2 in a few weeks, but Ephesians 2.6 says this. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Now that phrase, united, has some attachments to it, some benefits, some, something to access blessing with that you already have. And the first is this. To, to be united means to be united legally. It means you're united legally. Now, in most places in our world, um, when you get married... One of the things that happens is you share in, let's, let's do it this way. Let's say, let's say you're getting married and you are completely in poverty. You're, you're broke. You have no, no, what we'll call physical assets to bring into this marriage. No bank account, no savings, no nothing. And you are marrying somebody who's very, very wealthy. They, they, they have so much. Well, in most countries, when you marry that person, you share the wealth. It becomes yours. You have equal access to it. You're able, able to share in that immediately. You didn't earn it. You didn't get it because of that. You got it because there was a legal union that, that, that took place. It's legally yours even though you didn't anything to earn it. It's so with Jesus. You didn't do anything to earn these blessings, but you have access to all of them when you believed in him by faith, when you believed to receive him. And, and that's why we're able to do that. So it, it means legally united. Romans 6, 5 gives us some clarification. It says this. For if we have been united with him. It's going to be specific about something. If we've been united with him. We're, we, we experience a death like his. If we've been united in him. It's in a death like his. And what that means is. Is God now looks at you and treats you. Gives you your freedom from condemnation. As if you died on the cross for your own sins. As if you had lived a perfect life and were able to die on the cross that you went through all that suffering yourself. That's how God looks at you. He sees you that way. That's one of the things that's part of the legal access when you're united with him. What Christ did on the cross to pay for, for sin is now yours. You have the freedom from that. That verse goes on to tell us something else though. It tells us not only about what we received from being united with him in his death, but in his resurrection. It says we shall certainly be united him with him in a resurrection like his. Now, one of the things that the resurrection did was it vindicated Jesus. It validated who he said he was. It validated everything he taught. It was his triumph. And we are told that all of, all of the, the splendor, all of the, the medals, all of the honor of Jesus from ra being raised from the dead is ours. We, we have access to that. The whole world should salute those who are in Christ that way because, because we're in him. Not because we did anything, but we were put in him. So what does it mean to be legally made one so that all things that he's accomplished are now as it, it, it's a legal contract. It's part of the benefit and, and it, 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 it has um, implications for things like adoption that we'll talk about and, and, and things um, that, that have to do with justification. Different things that the scriptures speak of that have a legal context to them. So we're, we're legally united, but we're also united comprehensively. 
We're united comprehensively. And that kind of means vitally, vibrantly, uh, organically in our lives. We're, we're united to him. And what happens is the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, the Bible says. And there are all kinds of blessings that flow out of that. Uh, immediately, new birth. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And then there's this change that begins to happen. And eventually the Bible says what you're going to find because the Holy Spirit's been implanted in you is you're going to experience glorification. And we don't understand all that yet. But the Bible says what that kind of means is like you're going to be like Jesus in his resurrected body. You're going to experience something beauty. It means, it, it means perfection. It means sin free. It means, you know, a suffering free existence. That's part of what glorification is. And all of that is true because we're in him. We already have access to every spiritual benefit. Everything he has is ours. When you believe him, to, to receive him. You're united in him is the way that the scripture describes it. So let me just kind of summarize this uh, quickly. Th this, th this answer to how do we get every spiritual blessing. Okay. Um, it's, it's only a part of it but it's a very important part. And I just want to go ahead and, and cast out some fear. I'm going to spend a lot more time on question one than I am the other three. Okay, so some of you are thinking, okay, where's he going to go? You don't need a lunch, okay, just, just so you know that. Uh, you didn't need a lunch. But th th this point's very important, and I'm going to spend more time here, because we need to come to understand something about becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian is not a process. It's a point. It, it, it's, it's a point in time when, when you receive those benefits. Here's the deal. Either you are in him or you are not. It's one or the other. Either you are in him and you have the benefits of being in him. Or you are not in him and you have none of the benefits. It's not really a process. And here's what happens. If you ask the average person on the street. Some of you have seen. We've shown some of these man on the street interviews before. You ask the average person on the street. You know are you a Christian? Some will tell you straight up. No I'm not. But a lot of other people will say something like. Well I hope so. Or I'm trying to be. That answer tells me they have no clue as to what it means to be a, a, a Christian. What it means to be in, in Christ. See, you're either adopted or you are not adopted. You are either pardoned and accepted by God through Jesus or you are not. You are either born again or you are not. You're in him. Or you're not in him. Now, I, I want to throw up kind of a huge disclaimer on all that I just said. Because it is a point. Not a process. And I, I wanted to, uh, how many of you know who C. Everett Koop is, was? Okay, C. Everett Koop was uh, one of the famous surgeon generals for the United States for a season. And I read, uh, it's been years back about him expressing his conversion experience. And he talked about, uh, he said this to start with about his conversion experience. He said, uh, my wife drugged me to church. Anybody ever been drugged to church? You know, yeah, a couple of druggers out there. Yeah, um, he, he said my wife drugged him to church. And then he began to tell about his experience in church. They were going to an evening service. And in that evening service, he said the first few times he was there, he argued and disproved in his mind everything the guy on the stage said. Just blew him out of the water. I mean, he didn't go up to him and say it. It was just in his head. And he said, you know, a couple of months in, he found himself, well, I, I see that. I'll give you that point. 
You know, I'm going to challenge you on this one, but I'll, I'll give you that. And he said by the time he got to the end of that year, he agreed with everything that was being spoken from that stage. He was agreeing with everything he was reading in the scriptures. And he said he realized suddenly that at some point along the way, some point he said, he had given his life to Christ. Now he said, I cannot point back to the moment. He said, I, I, can, I think I can narrow the month. I can think I can narrow these three or four messages. But I know that I know that I'm in Christ now. But it, the point is, there was a point. There was a journey involved. But there came to, to this point. And he had given his heart all, all over to God. And he just wanted to follow Jesus. He knew that there was this certain spot, even if he couldn't pinpoint it. And some of you have a testimony like that. Some people have a dramatic point in time that they point back to. See, Everett Coop just says, I woke up over here realizing somewhere over here I had crossed over. That I was, I was in Christ. Now, the reason that's so important to understand that there is a point is because of this. Salvation is by grace alone. In Christ alone. Through your faith alone. It, it's, it, is, it is not something that, it's not something you can earn. If you could earn it, then it could take place in stages over time. You could earn a little bit here, earn, you know, and then finally get it all. But grace is not like that. Salvation does not come that way. It, it happens. Being engaged is not married. Living together is not married. Married is married. Do you get that? It's, it's the same thing. You can be on the journey towards it, but until you both say I do and sign that license, it, you're, not, you're, not, you're not married. And so you need to understand that it's like this. You're either in Christ or you are not. Because it's only in Him... That you have every spiritual blessing. I, I'm, I've really been praying that we get captured by this as a church. This is so essential for the church to know this. And, and here you have the guy writing this stuff. Here's this guy Paul. Okay? And most of you know Paul's backstory. Paul, at one time in his life, killed Christians. Put contracts out on them. Drugged them into jail so that they would eventually be killed. This is Paul. And now he finds himself sitting in church, speaking at church, looking face to face at some of the family members and some of the friends of people he murdered. Can you imagine the shame, the guilt that he had to be living under? I'm not commending this movie to you, but in 2002 there was a movie entitled Heaven. Doesn't have a lot to do with heaven, just so you know. Um, uh, it's about a, a, a teacher in an impoverished area in her city who begins noticing several of her students uh, die because of drug overdoses. And a drug overdose eventually takes her husband's life. And one of the things she's able to, to figure out is who kind of the drug kingpin in their city is. And she takes it upon herself to, to outing. No, to icing. We'll put it that way. She builds a bomb. She finds out how to build a bomb. She builds a bomb. She sneaks into his office and puts it in his waste basket. 
Um, she kind of knew his schedule, thinking he'd come in. What she didn't know was the cleaning company schedule. And so the cleaning company comes in and they just grab the, the guy just grabs the container and just dumps it while he's kind of distracted by other stuff and drops this bomb into his big receptacle. And he pushes this big cart onto, uh, into a, um, an elevator in which a dad and two kids have just gotten in. And the bomb goes off. And it kills all four of them. And the movie is mostly about her trying to live through what happened. She's found out. She's caught by the police. She comes to understand what she had done. And the rest of the movie is just trying to live out. How do you, how do you live with such despair knowing that this is who you are and, and, and what you've done? She finds out she's just destroyed. She can't overcome this sense of self-loathing, this horrible crushing guilt. But we have Paul, and Paul somehow seems to move forward. How, how does he get so confident that he can do that? How does he get so confident that he can write these words or even think that the Holy Spirit would inspire him? How does he, how does he move that, to, that, to become that person? Well, in Romans chapter 8, one of the things he wrote, we, we see why. We get a little glimpse. Paul writes these words. He says... There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul believes it. Paul, Paul's mind gets wrapped into that. And so he could stand in a place like this facing people whose friends and family he had killed, executed. Because he's completely trusting in Christ. He is in him. He, he, he's in him. He knows in himself he has nothing. But in him he has everything. Paul, Paul gets that. And I pray you see the power of that. But, but more than I pray you see the power. The, the, the real question is, is, do you personally know the power of that? Do you personally know that power? Has it been released in your life? That blessing. Second question to throw at chapter 1 verse 3 of Ephesians is, what is every spiritual blessing? If, if it says we got it, what are they? You know, what, what, what are they? When Paul says every spiritual blessing, you know, he, it would really be too, uh, too large to, to, to number. There are a few right here in the sentences that we read, but Paul doesn't even try to name them all. I, wanna, I wanna, want you to look at two of them with me real quickly. It just gives you kind of a hint of the vastness of them. One of them that he mentions is adoption and the other is redemption. And so we know this, adoption, when the Bible speaks of that, adoption is a spiritual blessing. Adoption is a spiritual blessing. We see it down in verse 5, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you how I think this is a benefit. Adoption means that through Christ, God is no longer just creator. He's no longer just king and just deliverer. He's your father. He, he, he is your father. And on your worksheet, there are three places to tell what adoption is. There was another one that God gave me last night, and I had already turned my worksheet in, so you're going to have to write another, a fourth one in, that adoption is something else, okay? The first one is this, adoption is access. You have access to God when you're adopted as, as his son. 
Think of it this way. If you are the child of the President of the United States and you can just come running to him, wherever he's at, you can just take off running. Nobody's going to mess with you. If you're somebody else and you know, and you go running at the president, if they're not close enough to tackle you, they're going to shoot you. Okay? One way or the other, you're going down. Okay? You're his kid, you're doing the same thing running at him, and everybody steps back, gets out of your way. Why? Because you're his kid. He knows it, everybody knows it. You know? You have access to God. It's just something that you have. He's your father. And the same is true of God. You have access and it's intimate. It's intimate. And the people around you should know that. Not because you brag about it or boast about it or try to live it out loud. But it's just, it flows out of who you are. So it's access. Secondly, adoption is inheritance. It's inheritance. You know, if, if anybody you know, were to look at this passage and say, well, Paul, Paul wasn't using general neutral language. He was, wasn't Paul being kind of sexist, only talking about being adopted as sons? Well, actually, no. Because you need to understand that the culture when Paul wrote, only sons could be adopted. Daughters could not, by law, be adopted. And so when Paul is writing this, and he's writing about men and women becoming co-heirs with Jesus, he was elevating the status of women in a tremendous way. Because he's now saying to Christians, men and women both, your sons adopted. Because in that system, that's legally all that can happen. He says, just like, just like that system, in Christ you're adopted by God. You have all the inheritance rights. You know, one of the things Jesus said that we would inherit says the meek shall inherit what the earth we're going to inherit a new improved heaven and earth I have no idea what that's gonna look like specifically but I can't wait it's part of part of my inheritance adoption is inheritance adoption is also security it's it's security How many of you are employees? You're, an empo you're employed by somebody, okay? It means you have an employer. How many of you think you could do anything you want to at work to your employer and not get a pink slip? We got one right here. <laughs> this is father-in-law. <laughs> That's pretty good, dude. Uh, <laughs> Have you tested? No, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know, Trevor. Don't tell me. Um, for most of the rest of us, your, your employer can only stand so much. And then you're going to get the pink slip. Not true for parents. How long, how long do we as parents deal with a wayward son or daughter? I said a couple of y'all went, forever. It's because it's true. See, God's not just your boss. He's your father. So Trevor kind of gets it a little bit. He's your father, man. 
So there's, there's not giving up on you. That, that, that's not going to happen. Because he loves you. That, that's security. Another thing about, Trevor, you might not like this one, dude. Another thing about adoption is discipline. Because a father will discipline his children. The Bible tells us that. Now, sometimes we misunderstand what that means in the community with God. See, the Bible tells us that all of us, everybody on this planet has trouble. Everybody's got problems because we live in a messed up world. Bad things happen. Sometimes not because you did anything. It just happens to you that way. And yet, because your father is in charge of the universe, he's taking that that pain and he's making you gold with it. He's refining you with it. He's growing you through it. The bad things that happen in your life are under his hand and he is using that because discipline always has what's best in mind. It's always moving that way and, and part of his way of growing you up is in discipline because he sees you and he's moving you to that image of his beloved son, your, your older brother. He has that in mind for you. He's moving you that way. And see, those are just some of the benefits of, of adoption, which is just one of the blessings that, that you have. So many more. We'll get at one in this third question. Here's the third question. Why? Why can we have every spiritual blessing? Well, we can have them because we're in Him. And that preference has, has place. It has, it has space. And, and here we can see this word redemption. That blessing of redemption. Redemption is a spiritual blessing. Look what it says in Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says, in him we have what? We have redemption. So, so what's redemption? Because redemption is a loaded word. At first we look at redemption and we just think payment. But redemption is actually more like ransom. I remember not terribly long ago, I read a, a short kind of story illustration of a pastor uh, who was from a smaller town who had gone to the city of New York and parked somewhere he shouldn't have. He didn't do it knowingly, but his car got booted and towed. And he said, after a couple of days of trying to figure that out, where it went... Um, he got an address, he found out where his car, he went, went to, to get his car, he walks into this building and there's a guy at a counter and behind the counter, in big words, it read this, Redemption Center. And he went on to tell us that when he paid uh, this guy, because he had that ticket, you know, he paid, they stamped redeemed on it. They didn't stamp paid. They stamp redeemed. And, and that was literally what happened. He had to ransom. He had to pay $189, he said, to ransom his car out of captivity. To set his car free. See, redemption is much more like that. It's not just paying a debt. It's liberating. It's, it's moving what has been held captive out of slavery into to freedom. Yes, you pay, but you're also released. How many of you ever studied about a guy named Gandhi or maybe read about him? Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi was a great man. Um, Gandhi was not a, a Christian. He wasn't a Christ follower. Although he was an intense student of Christianity. Now we, we know from his own you know, 
testimony that he learned most of what he came to understand about Christianity from a guy named Tolstoy from his writings which Joe's opinion probably wasn't the best person to learn everything about Christianity from okay but that, that's what he did and one of the things Gandhi came to understand was this is that whether you were Buddhist or whether you were Hindu or whether you were Christian one thing that all of them have in common is they all agree that human beings are not free that we're in some type of captivity. We're, we're enslaved to, to selfishness. And we're, in, we're slaves of our own ego. And I, I agree with him. I agree with that observation that he, he makes. Humans are not free. We are in ourselves. We're selfish. And we're grasping at anything that will help our ego. Because our ego is so needy. And we want desperately to satisfy this need in us. So we'll do it with popularity. We'll do it with trying to get somebody to love us. We'll do it with status. We'll do it with money or, or power. Which is why Gandhi would tell you the world is so miserable. So Gandhi went on to say, hey, you Christians, you could look to Jesus... He could help you. You could understand Jesus and see Jesus' life as a life that's free from selfishness. A life that's not centered in ego. Because Jesus lived this great life. He, he was nonviolent in his approach. He, was, uh, he, he, he gave up the pursuit of wealth and power. He deferred to others. He constantly sacrificed himself for everybody. And so Gandhi would look at Jesus and say, look at him. He's loving and he's serving and he's dying for others. And Gandhi would say, follow, follow his model. Now, I don't want to take anything from Gandhi. He, he really was a great man. He probably, not probably, he, he made a, he, he was smarter than me. He made a greater impact on his culture than I probably ever will on, on mine. He, but he would say that's how redemption comes to a person. And I would just have to say this, that didn't work for me. I looked at Jesus and I tried to do some of what Jesus did in my own strength. And you know what it did for Joe? It crushed me. I looked at Jesus' life and it was a perfect life. It was a beautiful life. It was a life that I wanted. It was completely free of egocentricity. You know, he wasn't needy. He wasn't doing anything like that. I see him forgiven and I see him loving all these people. And I see him dying for people and sacrificing. And it did not set me free because I couldn't do that. In and of my own strength, I could not do that. I was incapable of doing that. It didn't liberate me. It, it made me feel worse. I just wanted to throw my hands up in the air and, and quit. So how does Jesus help us? And the Bible says, the beginning place is to understand why we're enslaved. That's the starting point. Is coming to understand why we're enslaved, why, why we are mastered, by this selfishness, why we are mastered by our ego, why we are mastered by this need. And the Bible says that deep down all of us, no matter who we are, whether it's on a conscious level or a semi or unconscious level, all of us somewhere know in ourselves we need to be better. There, 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 we need to change. We ought to be further along. We ought to be at a different level. We, we all know that. And so we try to do something about it. And we try all these things. And we try to prove to others that we're okay. And we try to cover ourselves because we feel naked. And we feel ashamed because we know something's wrong. 
And we just keep trying to do all this so that we can reassure ourselves and try to convince the people around us. We do it in all kinds of ways. Secular ways, we try to do it be, becoming more beautiful or more popular or more, you know, richer or, or whatever, more accomplished, more degrees. We try to do it that way. Then there are the religious pursuits. That's secular, the religious pursuits. You know, we try to be a, a better father, a better mother, a better husband, a better this, a better that. We try to be better, more devout. And we kind of turn to those pursuits and we say, how about cover me? Cover me up because I, I, I know I live in shame. I know I'm not who I ought to be. And essentially what you're doing is you're trying to, to earn something by looking at those things. You're trying to get those things to, to set you free when the whole time all they are doing is enslaving you. All they're doing is bringing you into a different kind of slavery. I'm going to illustrate this. Speaking of my own kind, okay? But it's transferable. I want to talk about pastors for a minute. Many of you know that um, I have great admiration for the writings and teachings of Dallas Willard and John Ortberg. God has used both of those men um, in different environments to grow me up in some of these areas of my own life. And I have been at conferences where they have been leading and most everybody in the room is in ministry of some sort. And um, they, would, they, would, they would talk about things like this. I remember Ortberg talking about some of this that, you know, if, if you're in ministry and you care about your ministry and the effectiveness of your ministry, then if your ministry is not doing well, you can start feeling sad. And if you're doing your ministry and somebody is kind of getting in the way of you doing your ministry, you can kind of get mad at them. And if, you know, if there's something begins to threaten the effectiveness of your ministry, you can become anxious. You know, and so you can become, you could be a good minister and still experience sadness and madness and anxiety. But then he went on to say, you know, he said those are normal human responses, but he went on to say that on the other side, instead, if you find yourself not doing well in ministry and you're devastated, or you find somebody who is blocking what you perceive to be your ministry, you're, you melt down with anger, or when you see some kind of threat to your ministry and you become paralyzed with fear, then here's the problem. It's not ministry because you've quit serving God somewhere. You are no longer serving God. All you're trying to do is cover yourself with the trappings of ministry. You're trying to hide your shame. You're trying to prop up your righteousness. You're trying to prove yourself and prove to other people around you that you're okay. And it will kill you. John Ortberg calls this your shadow mission. It's your shadow mission. It's no longer about God. Because what happens is the ministry starts to kill you. And it's not just ministers. It's not just people who work vocationally in churches. It's every one of us. You could put your career. You could put parenting. You could put being a husband or a wife. You could put anything else in there. And anything that you are trying to use to prop yourself up will kill you. It will eventually crush you because you know you need to be redeemed. And you're looking for something else to do that. And you begin to love that thing more than you love God and it will crush you. 
You will, it will tell you, serve me, but it will curse you. That, that's that's what, it, what it does. And, and so, how does Jesus really redeem us? How does that really happen? It's really simple and beautifully complex all at the same time. The Bible says it's through his blood. It's through his sacrificial atoning death. It's not trying to just follow the model that he gave for the way he lived unselfishly. But we should. But redemption only comes through his blood. That he gave freely. See if I see Jesus forgiving others and serving others and loving others and sacrificing for others. But don't get it for myself. When I see him doing all those things, all it's going to do is crush me. That's all it's going to do. It's just going to lay me low. But when I see him doing it for me, it will get rid of my fear. It will get rid of my shame. When I finally see him looking at me, when I see the love that is in his eyes for me, and I see deep down in my soul what I never really believed, that he did all this for me. Then I start getting connected to the blessing of redemption. And it's not just objective, although it is, there's a cognitive part of it that yes, I believe in my mind. But then what happens is the rest of my life I begin subjectively, emotionally, and on a soul level. Finding myself more and more and more free when I rely only on his blood, only on his sacrifice. That's only when every spiritual blessing begins to get released into your life. It's when you realize it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's, it's the only thing. Otherwise, we'd be perfectly happy with these other things. We'd never blow up. We'd never, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be fearful. We wouldn't have anxiety. If we knew that. Because everything we need that we dream of, we have access to in Christ because of his blood. Last question. Well, it's not really gonna be the last question, but it's close. How can I know if I have every spiritual blessing? You, you say, okay, Joe, I, I, adoption, man, I want in on that action. Redemption, I want in on that action. All the other spiritual blessings I want, how do I know? How can I know? The answer, you read it earlier, if you read along. It's found in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. That phrase is actually, if you go back and you read verses 3 through 14, it's also used again in verse 12 and again in verse 14. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Here's how you know you have every spiritual blessing. Here's how you know you don't just believe in grace cognitively, but you've received it. It's not just in your head, you know. Here's what happens. It starts to become glorious to you. It, it starts to become really the thing that you are most drawn to. It becomes the strongest affection of your heart. You see it as beautiful. It captures your imagination. It captures your soul. You want to sing to it. You just want to sing to your salvation. You want to sing to your Savior. When you get, when you get captured by that. When, when it's to this glorious praise of God, that's how you know. That's how you know you're starting to access every spiritual blessing. 
And we know this already. We know as human beings there is nothing more powerful than a story of unbelievable self-sacrifice to save another. I, I remember... Some of you will remember this. Some of you are too young. But I remember in, um, in 1982, I got marked by an event that I saw on the news. They played it over and over and over. But in January of 1982, a plane left uh, airport in Washington, D.C., clipped a bridge and then plunged into the Potomac. I don't, some of you will remember that. And... Um, uh, some people started making it out of the cabin, but by the time the rescue kind of got there with the rescue helicopter, the only thing that was sticking up was the tail. And people were kind of motionless, that, that were in the water were motionless because hypothermia had started setting and they were dying or dead. There was this one guy that was swimming though, but he wasn't swimming to get out of the river, he was swimming trying to get people. And so they, they come to this one guy who was conscious enough that they could drop a, a cable to and get him out. And instead of doing that, he goes under the water, grabs somebody else and straps them in and they pull him out. And so they, they take that person to shore. They come back to get him. He does it again. And he does it again. And he does it five times before he slipped into the water and was never seen again. And, and, and we know this guy, we came to know him as Arlen Williams. We, they, they discovered who he was. I was marked by that moment that somebody would do that. You know how many people got saved that day? Those five. Those five were the only ones who lived. And it's not just true stories like that that grab our hearts. I mean, movies do it all the time. The greatest movie narratives that draw us in are movie narratives where somebody sacrifices everything for others. Braveheart. You know, movie, movies like that. That's what, that's what does it. And see, here's the deal. Here's the deal uh, about Jesus. When you come to know that he did it for you. He left everything and did what he did for you. That he came to earth and he did that for you. So that you could experience eternal glory and experience eternal love. It will change the epicenter of your soul. It will quake the, the, just the core of who you are. And it will move you to the place where things that used to captivate you no longer do. It'll displace those things because instead he will be glorious. And all you want to do is you just want to give him glory. And over time, those blessings of that reality will change you. So here's the real last question. The real last question is this. Has your heart been captured by Jesus? Is your heart captured by the gospel of Jesus? The, the, this powerful, absolutely powerful sacrifice for you. Because you can give your heart to him. You can, you can do that today. And then you can start figuring out what it means. Maybe you want to meditate on this one verse from John 1-7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It replaces all that other stuff. It's the only thing that will do that. Let's pray.
Father, we come in Jesus' name giving you thanks, Lord Jesus, that we have every spiritual blessing in you already. That it's kept in the heavenly realm for us that we can access it now. And I pray if there is one here today who for the very, very first time has come to understand what redemption's about and come to understand what you did and wants to receive you through believing that about you, that you have come, that they might have life, that they could be ransomed from all of that mess. Start to find real life. I pray right now where you're seated. You can just pray, Jesus save me. And the Bible says he will. If you mean it with your heart and you want to follow him. But most of us in this room today are people who have, have trusted him with that. But have not. We didn't show up today thinking that we had all the blessing we needed. And my prayer is, is that we'll get back to the basic. And understand it's nothing but his blood. That's all there is. It's centered there and everything else flows out of it. All of the other spiritual blessing flows out of that. So I've got to stay there. And let the implications of that wash over me. Wash over you. Because it's there that I will begin to experience every spiritual blessing that I have. So Father, that's my prayer right now as we come. As we come to worship you, as we come to give back your tithe to you, give back an offering to you, as we come to bring our life to you, as we come to look into your eyes and see that love, that amazing grace that's only found in you, nothing else in this world. And I pray for myself and my friends that we see you that way. Glorious God, to the displacing of everything else that draws our heart away. Help us be that church. Help us see River Bluff to be that foundation in you alone. Help us be that church so we can build with you, God. We come worshiping you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.